Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, I thank you for sending your Son Jesus to be in our midst. I thank you, Lord our God, for the gift of Jesus being born into our lives. And Jesus, as you are born into our lives, you also ask us to accompany you as members of your body along the path that you walked. And that was a path that involved suffering. And so, Lord our God, I ask that you give us insight today into the reality of suffering. Why must I suffer? And Lord, I pray that the words that I share would be of benefit, would be a blessing to to those who are in the midst of suffering, all who have ever suffered, or who might have a suffering to come. Lord, may the insight that comes forth from uh, this program be a blessing to support and encourage and help um, all of those who are listening to truly um, be surrendered and uh, trustful, trusting Jesus more fully. Jesus, we, we do trust you, but we need to and want to trust you more. And we make this prayer in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Henri de Lubac, a profound theologian from the last century, um, one of the favored theologians by St. John Paul II, um, has a book called Paradoxes of Faith, and in it he has a chapter on suffering, and and one of his maxims is, all who suffer, all who truly suffer, suffer badly. (laughs) Anyone who truly suffers, suffers badly. And you stop and you think, what does he mean by that? And part of the, I think part of what he's referring to is that uh, sometimes we can read the stories of lives of saints who suffer, and they have this attitude that is so heavenly, so elevated, that they rejoice in their sufferings. They are able to cry out to the Lord, not for relief from the sufferings, but to uh, be able to experience even deeper joy in the midst of their sufferings. And when I would read those stories, it, it, it just was, it was very puzzling to me, because that's not how I relate to um, suffering in my own life. And when I talk about suffering in my own life, I'm not even talking about the kind of serious illnesses, difficulties, um, trials that that these saints endured. Um, like when I think about St. Alphonsus de Liguori, right? One of the most prolific authors in the history of the church. And then when you read about his life and the fact that he suffered tremendous migraine headaches that were debilitating for decades and experienced extended periods of like bodily pain that left him bedridden and you you tried and then not only that but he right was the founder of the redemptorists who also tada decided that he deserved some persecution <laughs> Just like, here is this incredible saint of God. You read his writings, and and there's no clue in his writings that 
this man is enduring such incredible pain day after day. The the writing, but and again, maybe this is part of the part of the insight is that the purity, the quality, the profundity of the insights that came forth from uh, this holy man, holy priest of God, was precisely connected to the intensity and duration of his sufferings. That his, his sufferings purified, cleansed. They were like a furnace. So there was very little dross impurities in his, in his writing, in his words, because of all that he endured in his life without drawing attention to it, without um, drawing any attention to it in his writings. So um, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, oh, I've had a flu this past month, and woe is me. I've, had, I've lacked energy, and I've had some body, bodily aches and pains, and uh, I've had to rest a lot more, and didn't have the energy to do the things I wanted. Woe is me, right? Are you kidding me? This is not, this is suffering. It's barely suffering at all. Um, when I think about suffering, yes, there are definitely bodily ills, bodily pains. Yes, those are definitely forms of suffering. And some of you that I'm talking to are right now experiencing a suffering as a result of enduring a bodily condition, a lack of health that is maybe connected to um, a temporary or momentary sickness, but others to some ongoing physical or mental or uh, uh, condition that, that you have to live with day to day. Um, but there are other forms of suffering. And these other forms of suffering, I think we don't pay as much attention to them. They're, they're less discussed. And, and you don't really hear about them so much from the altar, like in homilies, because in, in a certain way, priests are blessed with a life that remains a bit distant from the kind of suffering that I will talk about now, which is a relational suffering. Like when I think about the sufferings that parents have over the wayward, like the prodigal, the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter, the kind of suffering that they endure in their attempts to love well and parent in unity a, a teenager, a young adult that is in rebellion, that is obstinate in rebellion that is um, engaged in not only behaviors, but attitudes and, and uh, deceiving, lying, hiding, and, and under, undertaking destructive uh, uh, ways of living, the behaviors in relationships with friends and, and in, is in uh, complete refusal to... Uh, to, to change their ways. And the amount of emotional uh, suffering, the, 
let's call it even the trauma that gets introduced into the lives of moms and dads who are unable to peacefully sleep at night, who are wondering, is my son, my daughter okay? Is what are they doing? Why are they doing it? Where's this all going to go? What's going to happen next? God, please, where are you? What, what can I do? What, why won't they change? That, that is a burden. That's like an emotional burden that introduces anxiety, stress, distress, uh, you know, deep concern that goes, it's felt like a wound in the heart. And that's a suffering. That is such a deep burden of suffering, a heavy weight of suffering that so many parents experience today. Um, and, and when I think about that kind of suffering, that kind of emotional burden, it just weighs me down. And I think about the, the, the times in my life where I've experienced that kind of suffering and the, the radical position of desperation before God, coming before God and just crying out on my knees, on my face, crying out and just saying, God, please, you have to move. You have to do something. What can I do? And, and then, um, and then the, the, the desperate need in the midst of all of that to find a, a, a unity in, a, in, in your spouse to address what's going on. And oftentimes it introduces, again, stress and pressure that are just not normal. They just are not the typical thing that parents have experienced. And it's like it, it, it can crack the couple. It can, it can fracture their ability to um, be able to know how to respond appropriately uh, to the emerging challenges, the, the daily challenges, the, the event of how do you intervene in the life of your child to be able to do something about it. That's suffering right there. That is suffering. Or I think about uh, one of the groups I consulted for was a treatment center um, for those who struggle with addictions, in particular to alcohol and drugs. And often these were connected to co-occurring disorders that were um, some mental health issues. So dealing with some forms of mental illness in addition to addictions or addictive behaviors. And to... uh, to be to to begin to hear some of their stories of what do we do when our loved ones and often it was a spouse that was acting out of an addiction and whether it was alcohol or drugs and again maybe some of you maybe this is like this is not something that's touched your life or your family's life um but I think of the the sadness today of the addictive behaviors connected to pornography and online access to um, just impurity 
uh, and pornographic act, uh, you know, uh, behaviors, right? Um, it's just so destructive. It's, it introduces such suffering into families' lives. Well, today on the program here, I'm going to explore some of those sufferings in the light of faith, in the light of Christmas. Um, I'm recording this again on the feast of a feast that involves suffering, the suffering of innocent ones, the suffering of the holy innocents who were slaughtered because of Jesus Christ, because of Jesus they suffered, because they uh, happened to be born in the same uh, city, Bethlehem, uh, as Jesus was born, and Herod could not stand to have uh, a threat to his kingship. And so uh, today on the program, I'm going to be referring to a book, Why Must I Suffer?, by uh, Father Remler, R-E-M-L-E-R. And it has a paradoxical subtitle, Why Must I Suffer?, subtitled, A Book of Light and Consolation. A Book of Light and Consolation. And i, I got to tell you, it's true. M- my hope in sharing... Uh, from this book, Why Must I Suffer, is to hopefully shed some light and bring some consolation to those of you that are experiencing these forms of suffering, whether it's physical, whether it is, uh, again, due to some kind of bodily condition, whether it is relational, um, or whether it is vocational, right? So whether it's uh, something to do with circumstances and, and things happening in your life, in your relationships, or because you are a loving husband or father, or a loving wife or mother, or let's add in grandparent. And so whether it is because of your uh, personal situation, your physical condition, or your vocation, and Ian, one more, whether it's part of your mission, you're going to find insight in this book, Why Must I Suffer, uh, by Father Remler, where he offers, incredibly, he, he offers 15 reasons why we suffer. 15 reasons why we suffer. And... I've got quite a task in front of me to unfold these 15 reasons in the program today, all with a goal of offering you some light and consolation. So that's my goal, and I'm going to get started in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. 
today I'm going to unfold. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to say 15 reasons why we suffer. And hopefully giving in giving these 15 reasons, share insight uh, that will bring you some light and some consolation. It's, it's, that's the title of the book, Why Must I Suffer? And it is a simple book. This should be, really, this should be a book club book. It is so good. Um, it's so powerful. Um, and uh, maybe I'll tell you the story of how I, it came to me uh, in, in just a couple of minutes. But uh, let me dive in. Let me just, I'm just going to start in just so that we don't get uh, lost here. <laughs> uh, why must I suffer? Suffering, is anything more commonly man's lot? Is anything harder to bear? Is there not, even for the most perfect uh, human being, one form or another in the range of suffering which would be found a trial? Who then among us needs consolation? Who but needs at least to be forearmed? In the following 15 reasons why God permits suffering, we entrust the earnest reader will find light and consolation, which under God's grace will disarm suffering of some of its bitterness and make a blessing of what is often enough a stumbling block. And that's so true because of what Henri de Lubac said, uh, all those who truly suffer, suffer badly. And I know that. I know that personally, that if I'm suffering, if I'm experiencing suffering and I'm like, oh, this is, you know, the Lord is with me and I'm doing great. I, I'm not sure I'm really in the depths of suffering. When I've really been in the depths of suffering, I'm just on my face before God crying out in desperation before him saying, I trust this to you, God, please, you've got to move. This is unbearable, right? And just not leaving that position. So we're going to dive into these 15 reasons right now. Okay, so let's dive in. What's the first reason? Well, the first reason that Father Remler gives is sharing the consequences of original sin. And in essence, in this chapter, he says a couple of key points. The first is that suffering wasn't part of God's plan. Suffering is a consequence of sin, our disobedience uh, in our relationship with God. When we sin, we disturb, diminish, or break our relationship with God, and that introduces negative consequences. There are punishments that are connected to um, connected to that action. And so original sin is what? That first sin of, uh, of Adam and Eve that introduced into the human family, and that's us, these painful consequences. And so the original endowments that God gave to us um, would uh, involve the totality of how we lived our lives, and it would give us this, this beautiful, beautiful elevation into uh, these what were called preternatural gifts, these very special graces that God gave to Adam and Eve uh, that were not connected with them simply being human beings, but just as, a, as an act of God's grace involved in their lives. And when they sinned, they didn't realize this, but they lost the inheritance of all of those beautiful endowments, those beautiful adornments of human nature that had elevated it and left it in such a condition of beautiful joy and peace and light and life. We lost all of those things. And so that was the effects of disobedience. Now, we... Unfortunately, as children of Adam and Eve, we also share in we what we inherit from them. What we also share in is a fallen human nature with 
all of these disorders, with all of these disruptions, the effects of the disruptions of the union with God. Just like uh, if, if your parents um, choose to live in a certain way and it leads to uh, financial blessings, you get enjoy you as a child with no merit of your own get to enjoy all the good things of that. So also if they choose to take actions that end up having a devastating effect on um, your lives, you also bear the burden of that. So, um, however, God does not um, leave us orphans. God, in fact, responds by sending his son Jesus um, to restore us and to uh, wipe away uh, original sin and to redeem us from the effects of original sin. Okay, great. So there's the first one. So the first reason why we suffer is as a result of original sin, the fall of Adam and Eve, uh, that we as children that share in that same human nature, we share in the consequences of that fall. And so that's one of the reasons why we suffer. What's the second reason? The second reason is as a, uh, as a means of expiation of public and national sins. Okay, now this is so striking. In fact, this is the reason why I got this book, is that I was tuning into the YouTube channel Census Fidelium that often has homilies from priests, but occasionally they will read a section of a traditional book, a traditional Catholic book. And this is what I heard. I heard this what I'm going to share with you right now, it was just chapter two, which is just a page long. Uh, the second reason why we suffer, expiation of public and national sins. I want you to hear this. Because when I heard this, I'm like, I got to get that book. <laughs> it's so powerful. Okay, the second reason why you must suffer, especially in times of general calamity, is this. As a member of society and a citizen of your country, you must unite with the rest in making the atonement and reparation which divine justice requires for the public and national sins committed in the community in which you live. By public and national sins, we understand certain sins of a graver nature, which are committed on so large a scale and by so many persons in a community, be it a city or a province or an entire nation, that they are attributed to the community as a body and not merely to this or that individual. Sins of this kind are apostasy from the faith, that means a rejection of the faith, irreligion and forgetfulness of God, godless education of the young, profanation of God's holy name, cursing, blasphemy, and perjury, the desecration of the Lord's day, immodest and scandalous fashions, immoral art, literature, and amusements, divorce and adultery sanctioned by iniquitous state laws, dishonesty, injustice, and oppression of the poor, murder and race suicide, and finally those wild orgies of gross immorality and unrestrained license which periodically disgrace public festivities and celebrations or occur in connection with balls, dances, banquets, and the like. Okay, did you hear that description of, of the sins of a nation? Did any of those strike you as relevant 
<laughs> Did any of those strike you as a fitting description of the sins that are manifest across our country, across our culture today? Uh, I, I, I pretty much, you're going to score almost 100 on that test, or, which is a terrible thing to score because it means all these sins are, are just present. And this is referred to as a general calamity, these public and national sins that require expiation. Ooh, there's a strong word. We'll have to talk about that. So he says that God is exceedingly patient and long-suffering and does not willingly inflict general chastisements, however richly they may be deserved by a community. He rather desires that his offending children seek his pardon by means of a timely repentance and conversion. He waited a hundred years before he sent the deluge which he had commissioned Noah to announce. He allowed forty years to elapse between the prediction made by our Lord of the coming destruction of Jerusalem and the fulfillment of that prediction by the Romans in the year 70. And he, uh, he spared the city of Nineveh altogether because its inhabitants immediately left off sinning and hastened to do penance at the preaching of Jonah. God acts in this way still. He often waits a long time before he inflicts on sinful cities and nations those more extensive chastisements which their multiplied iniquities call for. He desires to spare them and therefore tries first in every way possible to recall them to a sense of their duty and to timely repentance and conversion. But if in spite of these delays and they obstinately refuse to enter into themselves and to leave off sinning, if they continue in their wickedness, sometimes even to the extent of sinning more boldly because their evil deeds are not punished at once, then the hour must come in which the measure of their iniquity is filled to overflowing. And then it goes on and on and on. So, uh, and just talks about how God will, um, uh, how God will uh, bring about a, um, uh, an expiation through suffering. Um, so, boy, the, I, I could, I, I'm, part of me just wants to um, uh, just read the whole chapter, but I, but I won't. Uh, he says, so these public sins require public expiation. And as this expiation cannot be made in this next life, it is clear that it must be made on this side of the grave. And so why does God permit the good to suffer in times of public chastisement? This is a, a really powerful set of insights here. Like I read off those list of sins and you might say, well, you know what? Yeah, this is true. This is part of what we are um, undergoing today in our culture, and it's terrible, and I hate it, and, and I want God to bring an end to it, but I don't see things improving. I see things getting worse. And he says that, he says that this is what um, Father Remler says in answer to this. He says, um, why is it that good and, uh, good and virtuous people are not exempt at such times of national calamity and suffering, but they're compelled to suffer like the rest? How can God allow the innocent to be afflicted with the guilty? He said, there's several reasons why God permits the good to suffer in times of public chastisement. He says, number one, it is but right and just that the good should lend a willing hand in offering to God the atonement made necessary by public sins. Because in normal times, they enjoy in common with their fellow citizens the blessings of peace, tranquility, national prosperity. Their temporal interests are common, both in times of prosperity and in times of affliction. 
So there we go. Through your suffering, you're going to lend a hand in offering to God the atonement made necessary by public sins. Second, he said those who are innocent of actually taking part in public sins are not for that reason always entirely free from guilt in the sight of God. Very often they are guilty of these sins in an indirect manner, accessory to them as it is called. Thus they may have connived at some form of immorality, they may have not protested against it, they may have neglected to use their authority or influence or right to vote to hinder its introduction or to procure its removal when already introduced. And all this from indifference, human respect, fear of persecution, or, uh, or loss of business and similar unworthy reasons. Ouch! I, did that sting you? Boy, that's stinging to me. Even though we didn't do it, we permitted it, and we permitted it because we didn't stand up strongly enough and in a variety of ways against it. My goodness, that's something that I feel very deeply. Number three, this continues. There are six reasons, by the way, why the innocent must also suffer in these times of national calamity um, and national sins. He said that the sufferings endured by the good have a much greater atoning value than those endured by the wicked. Hence, the more good persons there are to join in making the required atonement, the more quickly will it be made. Besides, God is easily moved out of consideration for the sufferings of the good, greatly to mitigate his punishments and sometimes even to cancel them altogether. Wow! If you're willing to undergo some penance, some mortification, some acts of self-denial, if you patiently undergo sufferings in your own life, whether they're relational sufferings, sufferings associated with your condition and situation in life, whether it has to do with your physical physical or mental situation, or whether it has to do with your vocation or mission in life, if you undergo all of those things with a, a spirit of trust, in a holy disposition, it has beautiful, powerful fruits in the eyes of God. Number four, the sight of the good suffering for sins which they did not commit is apt to promote the conversion and salvation of the wicked by vividly reminding them of the more rigorous chastisements inflicted for sin in the next life. If sin is, is punished so severely upon the good here on earth, how much more severely will it be punished upon unrepentant sinners in eternity? And, and you know, that for me brings up a whole other form of suffering I meant to mention at the beginning, which I didn't, which is spiritual suffering. And I say spiritual suffering, uh, one form of spiritual suffering is as a result of spiritual attacks. How often do, do we end up facing terrible temptations we have terrible thought patterns come into our minds, terrible lines of, of thinking that we secretly uh, allow to occur inside of us, and we could even give ourselves over to. These are spiritual attacks, and we must, when we, when we feel them, when we sense them, even if we've begun to give ourselves over to them, quickly renounce them, renounce them, cast them away, bind them up, give them over to God. Okay, two other quick ones uh, of these six reasons why even the innocent must suffer or why they do suffer. Uh, such sufferings afford the good an opportunity of making full atonement for their personal sins. And so we've all fallen. And so, 
even if we haven't, uh, if we're not suffering because of the specific national sins, the calamity that's hitting us, there are other sins we have committed that we can make up for. And then the last one is that the patient endurance of undeserved suffering makes the good person resemble Jesus Christ, who took upon himself uh, suffering. And that's what we want. We want to be like Jesus Christ. And so uh, I'm up against a break. When we come back, I'm going to continue on. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out. DrTomCurran.com, DrTomCurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Okay, I got two segments left in the program, and I've gone through two of the 13 reasons why, uh, why I must suffer. A book of light and consolation. Okay, so I surrender. I don't think I'm going to get through all 13 in this program. Um, oh, no, wait a minute. I said 13. I actually meant 15. Number 13 is the one that is the most striking to me, but uh, I probably won't get that until tomorrow. <laughs> okay, so I, I want to keep exploring this because this is, again, there's such wonderful wisdom in this book, uh, Why Must I Suffer, by Father Remler, R-E-M-L-E-R, that I don't want to cut it short because it's rare, this level of insight. This book was written in 1935, that list of national sins that uh, you find here in this book, in chapter two, is so spot on. And it was written, what, almost 90 years ago, 88 years ago, 80, yeah, 87 years ago it was written. And it feels like he was describing our time to a T. It's like, compared to his time, th there's like nothing compared to the way that those same calamities are present today. Okay, let's continue on. Why, why do we suffer? Why must we suffer? Well, the third reason is natural results of indiscretions. And so here he's talking about things like, okay, there's sicknesses and diseases that strike our lives, often because of our own poor choices, our bad decisions regarding uh, the way that we've taken care of our bodies, we've taken care of our health, uh, what we've exposed our bodies or our lives to in life, can leave its negative effects on us, um, even for years. Like you've heard me mention, uh, almost three years ago, I had um, pulled a muscle uh, because I was playing flag football on Thanksgiving, and uh, my um, had such a terrible tear, and so I I suffered greatly because I didn't stretch out, didn't prepare myself wisely and well, and I overdid it. So all those things led to that, disposed me to pull the muscle the way I did. And then the way that I um, took uh, action to treat it left me in a damaged state for several years. And, it, and it, it doesn't bother me anymore, but I know that I haven't gotten back 100% capability uh, in my in my calf, but I finally got therapy for it, physical therapy for it, about five months ago, six months ago, 
and it has improved my calf muscle incredibly. But I suffered, and I suffered because of my own, my own self. It, this wasn't something that I cry out to God and say, God, why did this happen? I'm a complete victim. No. No, and you can go on and just talk about, like, okay, I take antacids because of um, my stomach. Well, guess what? If I didn't eat certain kinds of fried foods and carbs and coffee, well, guess what? I wouldn't need the antacids. So, yeah, I'm inflicting suffering on myself because of my own choices. And and then you can go on from there. He goes on and talks about other kinds of suffering that are connected to, he has a, a section entitled Domestic Trouble. There's another cl- uh, troubles, another class of sufferings. And he says, well, what a man sows, he will reap. And so if we are living in, um, uh, if we are living in a relationship or we choose a, uh, to get married in, in a way that, uh, to, to the person we're marrying, he, 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 if I read this, it's kind of funny. He says, the young man married a woman of whom he knew that she was a flighty creature, giddy and vain, without character, unable or unwilling to attend to household duties, extravagant, a slave of fashion, unwilling to bring up children, not ready for any sacrifice. He married her face, as the saying is, or her money or social standing. Now he must put up with the results of his foolish choice. Or the young woman gave her affections to a man who whom she knew to be unsteady in his habits, unreliable, dishonest, and lazy, unable to hold a position, addicted to drink or to drugs, who did not respect her virtue during their courtship, and even if that time showed signs of future infidelity. Though aware of all of this and often warned of her danger, she took no heed, but in her infatuation for him, flattered herself that she would convert him. Now she's painfully undeceived, but it is too late. She's condemned to repent at leisure. Uh, and then it goes on from there. He just describes all of these different situations in marriage and in parenting about um, what they do and don't do and, and the grief and suffering that uh, is entering into their lives. And and he says, as it is, they're reaping the natural fruits for their past folly. Um, and And so, anyway, so he says that, look, you see a lot of sufferings that are, in a certain sense, self-inflicted by the choices we've made. And so that's part of the reasons why we suffer. Okay, the fourth reason is natural results of sins against the Ten Commandments. And this is something that I don't think we appreciate so much. And I appreciated uh, the way he puts it in this chapter, where he talks about um, the, uh, the way in which uh, the Ten Commandments map out a path to flourishing and peace in our lives. It didn't say it was going to be easy. No, it's going to, it's going to involve a lot of self-denial, dying to self, uh, battling against temptations. But there is a, a level of being preserved from the disorder in passions and relationships, the harshness and darkness and, and uh different types of bondage, the emotional, intellectual, relational, spiritual bondage that comes from breaking God's commandments. That God's laws that that expressed in the Ten Commandments, they live in our heart and they're etched in our heart. We sense them in our conscience. And when we uh, fail to follow God's God's law in our lives, we're going to suffer. It's going to lead to bad effects. I wrote about this in my book on confession. 
that the traditional effects of sin is that it darkens the intellect, weakens the will, disorders the passions, and it increases concupiscence or that urge or tendency towards sin. Those are bad effects. Those are bad effects that happen to us when we dishonor God, when we fail to love him well and, and we break his law. And so he goes into this in some detail and basically says that, look, you get a lot of suffering in your life just as a result of your own sin. Your own sin introduces these things. However, God will convert evil into good. And, and so God will, he doesn't stop you often from these self-inflicted sufferings, but instead in his infinite wisdom and goodness, God contrives to turn Adam's sin into a source of immense spiritual blessing, and that came through Jesus. Jesus being born, living the perfect life, undertaking and undergoing all of the sin uh, uh, upon himself that we've ever committed and all the consequences of that sin. He undergoes it all so that we could be freed from it. And so it's one of those beautiful testimonies that God's will will be done or God will do something greater. God's will will be done or God will do something greater. And he wants to do something greater in your life. And, and so that's why during this season of Christmas, it's all about welcoming the birth of Jesus into our lives. If, if you're hearing about sufferings that are part of your life as a result of some go from original sin, some go, go back to the, uh, being part of the national, the national sins and, and the calamities that are connected to those things in your life. Some of it are related to some uh, bad choices that you made or bad choices that were made around you and you were partly the victim of those things and, and you're dealing with the enduring effects of those. Some of it are related to your own personal decisions now and the negative impacts it has on you. Some of it is related to the sins that you've committed in your life. Okay, all of those things, you know what the Lord is saying in this book? What Father Remler is saying in this book? Okay, you've heard about all these sufferings that are part of your life up to now. Be like the prodigal son. Be like the prodigal son. Prodigal son came to himself, experienced conversion where? In the pigsty, after undergoing all of the terrible sufferings. It brought him to a place where he turned to God. And so if you're hearing about all of these sufferings and you're saying, my goodness, wow, how much am I involved in all of these sufferings as the cause that I'm blaming God when it's really me? or it's really the fallen world I'm in. God, save me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, come and be born into my life today. Come and be born into those places of suffering that I'm even the cause of. Please, and redeem those things. Did you hear that? Please do that. Humbly acknowledge that you have fully deserved your sufferings, nay, even the eternal pains of hell by mortal sin. If you have not been condemned, it is solely because God's mercy has spared you and given you time for repentance. In the spirit of an abiding sorrow for your sins, make sure to unite all your sufferings with those of our Lord dying on the cross and make a frequent offering of them, thus united to the divine justice and atonement for the wrong you have done. Boom. There we go. See how God has mercifully contrived to make it possible for you to derive endless benefits from your folly. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. God has mercifully contrived to make it possible for you to derive endless benefits, namely heaven, from your folly. That is consoling. Back in a minute with more from the book, Why Must I Suffer? A Book of Light and Consolation. 
Hey, welcome back to the program today. I'm doing something that I haven't done in a long time, and it's just taking insights from a book, not part of a book club, but just taking insights from a book that God brought into my life. I really do believe this. God brought me this book and has brought me just so many homilies recently and teachings that are connected to suffering and the missionary quality, the redemptive quality that's connected to suffering. And he gets into this in this book, Why Must I Suffer? And he does it in the last like four or five, I think it's the last four, uh, the the first 10 reasons that he talks about in this book of 15 reasons are connected to sin and its consequences. Um, But then the last five reasons for suffering are connected to mission. And um, uh, and, and let's call it even the blessedness connected to suffering. So I'm not going to get to the, those last five reasons. Those are going to be something that I'll cover tomorrow on the program. I'm just going to say it out loud. But you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss those five reasons that are missionary, uh, associated with the missionary purpose that suffering can have for our lives. Uh, but I'm going to keep pressing on through these other reasons. I'm on the fifth reason. Maybe I can actually get through uh, these last uh, five or six reasons in the, in the very short time that remains, because there, there, there is a connection between them. Um, okay, the fifth reason is that uh, is for the temporal punishment of your sins. This is what he says. The fifth reason why you're made to suffer is this. You've committed many sins and thereby contracted a large debt of temporal punishment. You must cancel this debt either here or hereafter. Here by performing voluntary works of penance, or by bearing the sufferings which God sends or allows to come to you, hereafter, by enduring the pains of purgatory. So we've seen that very much of the misery that men suffer is self-caused and self-afflicted. But after making due allowance for such misery, there are a great many sufferings, the causes of which are beyond the control of man. From these there is no escape any more than there is from death itself. Of this kind are unavoidable accidents and catastrophes, contagious diseases and epidemics, storms, earthquakes, and wars, as also those sufferings which have their source in selfishness, unkindness, enmity, injustice, and cruelty experienced in our dealings with our fellow men. What about these sufferings? Well, of many, if not all of them, we can rightly say they are sent, or at least permitted, for temporal punishment of our sins. To make this point clear, we must say a few words about the nature of the punishment contracted by sin. And I'm not going to go into the details there. But essentially, he, in this particular chapter, talks about purgatory. And he talks about the way in which the fact that when we commit a sin, we damage ourselves. And we damage our relationship with God. And when we cause this uh, the, these damaging impacts in the world and in our own lives and in our relationship with God, there is a suffering that is involved with the making right, the healing, the purifying, the, the restoring to health of what has been broken or destroyed. You remember the example that I give, uh, that I've given how many times, and it's, 
a true story of um, kind of bringing together uh, in a, an event that was repeated many times in my home growing up, playing catch with my brothers, uh, baseball and throwing the ball. And um, I threw it badly. My brother missed it. And a window broke. Did you like that? A window broke. No, I broke a window through my carelessness and um, go in the house and I owned it. I owned it. I said, Mom, Dad, I please forgive me. I broke the window when I was playing catch. I threw the ball badly and carelessly and I broke the window. Please forgive me. And my parents said, we can see that you're owning up to this. You're confessing it. We see that you're contrite, you're sorrow that you did it. We forgive you. And then I go running free, right? And that's the end of it. No. And then I say, uh, they say, you're forgiven. And now here's what you're going to have to do to make up for the damage you've caused. You've got to pay for the window that was broken. And you're going to pay for it by doing this work. And so it's making up for the damage that was caused. That's what temporal punishment is. That's what purgatory will bring about. But that, that's one way of understanding the concept of temporal punishment and purgatory is making up for the damage that our sins caused. I like even better the example of the physical therapy that I had to undergo when I um, pulled my muscle severely uh, in my calf on that Thanksgiving morning, um, that what was required was a suffering not connected to, oh, you've pun- you're getting punished because you did something badly, but rather, you know, there's a suffering that's connected with restoring my leg to health. Tremendous suffering <laughs> involved in getting that uh, getting the, the muscle ends that had become bound up, those knots had to be broken. And that was a painful process to break up those so that my muscle could foster health again. And, and you know what? That's like purgatory. Purgatory is about like disentangling these tied up knots that are so painfully connected in our lives that would leave us with bad attitudes. I don't want to enter heaven with bad attitudes. I don't want to enter heaven with a cowardly spirit, with a a narrow-minded spirit, with a harsh, mean spirit. No, I want to enter heaven with a heart that is fully free and joyful and loving and completely reconciled to any and all who have hurt me. I want to have all of the, the, the wounds that have been inflicted upon me or that I inflicted upon myself to be washed away and cleansed. I, I want to be fully alive. Well, guess what? That's going to take a tremendous amount of supernatural surgery by the divine physician. And that surgery, that supernatural uh, disentangling of the the various kinds of uh, knots that are in my heart, my soul, my mind, my memory, my imagination, my emotions. Whoa, that's purgatory. Purgatory is getting me ready for heaven. Purgatory is getting me fitted for heaven. And that's going to involve a lot of suffering. 
a lot of suffering to get myself in a suitable condition. So yes, 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 the traditional teaching stands that uh, sin involves a punishment in accord with God's justice, but let's please place alongside it that sin also involves wounds and, and brokennesses and dislocations and bondage that needs to be unbound and needs to be healed and needs to be cleansed and needs to be washed away and needs to be made new and needs to be expanded. And all of that is purgatory as well. It's getting us suited and ready for our life in heaven. And so that's why we suffer. That's why we must suffer. And, and we can undergo that suffering here and now. And that's one of the blessings that we can, um, we can, um, what's it called? Um, we can undertake here, which actually is a sixth reason why we suffer, is that God desires to preserve us from the ext- extremely painful and entirely unmeritorious sufferings of purgatory. Right? If you just heard me say how much of this, uh, of this, like, let's call it spiritual surgery that needs to happen, uh, and the, the punishments that need to be meted out to make up for the damage that we've caused, we will undergo it in purgatory, but without gaining any merit. By merit, it means there'll be nothing that is freely chosen about it that unites us to Christ and then will enrich our own experience of heaven. So we can undergo this, the suffering after death in an extremely painful way in purgatory, or we can willingly undergo it now and allow that to not only begin to let us shine more brightly on earth, but also win for us a greater experience of God's glory in heaven. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the things that my, one of my daughters in, in college is, um, is, is putting forward in her own mind these days is, I'm going to stay up, I'm going to pray a rosary because it's going to, you know, there's a bit of a suffering and dying to self that's happening here, and that's going to reduce the amount of suffering I'll undergo in purgatory, and it's also in, in, enlarging my own, uh, my own spiritual life, which is going to merit me a greater share in God's life in heaven. So I'm like, yeehaw. Okay, you've put your focus there. <laughs> Realize that that'll be a wonderful, um, a wonderful means of um, motivating you to be willing to undergo suffering in a way that is what? It, it involves light and consolation. And that's what I was hoping for today from Father Remler, R-E-M-L-E-R, his book, Why Must I Suffer? All right, tomorrow I'm going to pick up where I left off, which is on... Uh, the seventh reason why we suffer, and I will get through the rest of them tomorrow. So please join me then. God bless you, and join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.